Bible. His servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst not thou have done it? How much rather then when he said thee, wash and be clean? Look at verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let us pray. Lord, tonight help us to learn some lessons from Naaman. God, I want to thank you tonight for saving my soul. Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that you will use me. God, I want to be a vessel tonight of honor. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will forgive me of any sin in my life. I pray, God, tonight that your sweet Holy Ghost would convict our hearts where there needs to be conviction. And I pray, Holy Ghost, tonight you will enlighten our minds of the Word of God. And I pray, Lord Jesus, whatever is accomplished in this service tonight, you will receive the glory and the honor and the praise because you are worthy of it all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And amen. And amen. The title of this message tonight is, So Close but yet so far away. So close, but yet so far away. Have you ever made any mistakes? A few weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I was at the Coastal Association down in Richlands, North Carolina. And when I left the, the association, I wasn't feeling good, and I wanted my wife to drive, and she said she would, but I knew she didn't want to, Brother Jimmy, so I decided I was just going to hammer down and get to the house. And I was out on 258 between Richlands and King, uh, Kinston, and I thought, I'm going to get on home. It, I, I don't feel good. And there was a car down the road, and I sped up, and I went around that car. It was on a highway with 55 mile an hour, uh, miles per hour speed limit. I went around this car, and when I went around this car, I looked up, and way down the road, I thought I saw this car sitting under a tree. And you know what? When I got down there, there was a car sitting under that tree, and it had them blue bubbles that started coming after me. And, I, they, and he told me I was running 73 and a 55, and he gave me a ticket. Now, guess what? Now i got to pay. I don't know what it's going to cost me, but you know what? When you're running 73 and a 55, it ain't good. So there's consequences when you, when you, do, when you do wrong, young people. And you know what? Regardless how old you are or how young you are, we all make mistakes. And some mistakes have minor consequences, and some mistakes have major consequences. I read of a naval air station where an air traffic controller gave incorrect uh, directions to two incoming aircraft, and the consequences was catastrophic. I want us to notice something about Naaman tonight. First of all, I want you to notice Naaman is in a miserable condition. Let's talk about Naaman. Who was Naaman? The Bible says in verse 1, he was the captain of the host. In other words, he would be like the five-star general that we have today. He was in charge of all of the army of Syria. Now the Bible says he was a great man. He was favored by his master. By the way, that, the king of Syria of that time was Benadad II. And he, he found favor with, with a Naaman, a Naaman. And the Bible also says that Naaman was honorable. That means he was highly respected. The Bible says he was a mighty man of valor. That means he was courageous and he was brave. Now you know what? When you look at Naaman on the outside, it looks good, don't it? He's a man of position. He's a man of authority. He's a man that looks like he's in control. But guess what Naaman had? Naaman had a problem called leprosy. Now leprosy in the Old Testament was a disease that would cover the entire body. It was a skin problem and it would, it would just ooze with infection. It was a terrible disease. And you know what to me, Brother Jimmy, that, that, that uh, leprosy represents to me? It represents sin. Can I tell you something? There are people in high positions, 
There are people that are highly respected. There are people in authority. And everything looks good on the outside. But can I tell you something? If the sin problem hadn't been taken care of, we're in trouble. Let me tell you this. You can come to church. You can grow up in church. You can grow up in a youth group. You can serve your church. You might serve on a deacon board. You could even serve as a pastor of a church. Can I tell you something? All those things in and of themselves are good, but none of them will save you. Our sin, let me tell you something. Sin is a serious problem with God. God did not just take sin and sweep it under the rug and cover it up. What God did when He saw the sinfulness of Adam and Eve and saw the fallen nature of human beings, which he knew we were going to fall before he played it. God knows everything. But God allowed his son, his son, and Jesus Christ is fully God. And Jesus Christ left heaven. He came down to earth, conceived by the Holy Ghost in the Virgin Mary. He was born as a man, unlike any man on this planet. He was 100% God, 100% man. And what did Jesus do? Jesus lived 33 and a half perfect years on the... Brother Jimmy, that's something right there. 33 and a half perfect years. And Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and died on that cross and they put him in a grave and he rose out of that grave. Why? Because he's God. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt. The word perpetuation, I like that word. It means to appease the wrath of God for sin. When God looks down from heaven and sees you through the blood of Jesus, he sees you just as if you never sinned. So Naaman... Naaman, first of all, he had a miserable condition, but, but Naaman made some mistakes. Let's talk about those now. The Bible says that the king of Syria sent a letter to the king of Israel. And he told the king, he, he, uh, well, in verse 5, Naaman left the king of Syria on his way to the king of Israel. And in that day and time, it was, it was customary when you went before the royalty, it was customary to take gifts. Notice what Naaman took. Naaman took with him... Ten talents of silver, that's 750 pounds of silver. He took with him 150 pounds of gold, that's 6,000 pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. I want, you, I want to ask you a question. Do you think it might have occurred in Naaman's mind that if he just took enough stuff to this king, enough stuff that looked like it was really worth something, that it might buy him something? Can I tell you something? Some people think that money can fix everything. Money cannot fix your sin problem. And so if Naaman went with the price that he went with, the, the, uh, according to commentators or commentaries, they say that this was worth over $500,000, a lot of money. That's a half a million dollars. Can I tell you something? If you gave Harvest $500,000 as an individual, it would not place you in heaven. It would be a good deed, and you could say, I helped a bunch of kids. Can I tell you something? You can stand at the pearly gates on Judgment Day and say you helped a bunch of kids, but if you don't have the blood of Jesus applied to your heart and life, you will, you will go to a devil's hell. So first of all, the first mistake was Naaman went with the wrong price. Second of all, he went to the wrong person. Now think about this. This little maiden girl that was caught captive over in Israel, she was Naaman's wife's uh, 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 servant. Little maid. And here's what she said in verse 3. Would God my Lord were with who? The prophet. Not the king of Israel. Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now notice what happens. The king of, of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel, 
and says, when you get this letter, Naaman, my servant, he's got this leprosy. And somehow or another, they had the idea the king of Israel could take care of this problem. What did the king of Israel say? In verse 7, it came to pass when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. And here's what he said, Brother Jimmy. Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh the quarrel. You know what the king of Israel thought? He thought the king of Israel was trying to pick a fight with him. He said, I can't do nothing with this guy. You know what? Here's a mistake that Naaman made. He went with the wrong price. He went to the wrong person. He was supposed to go to who? The prophet is in Samaria. But he went to the king of Israel. Let's go to the next problem. The next problem is in verses 7 through 9. Elisha told the king, when he heard the king had tore his clothes, he said, let him come to me. Now, Brother Jimmy, I don't think Elisha was being bigoty. I think Elisha was confident in his God. I'm going to tell you something right now. I wouldn't give you five cents for a preacher who doesn't have confidence in the Bible or confidence in God. Elisha said, let him come to me. Let's read it. what it says in, in, in that verse there, uh, verse 9. Let's read it. Uh, I'll find it here. Uh, Where's that, Mary? Verse 8. Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come to me, and he shall know what? That there is what? He'll know there is a prophet. Hey, he'd already been to the king of Israel. And Elijah said, let him come to me, and and he will know that there's a prophet in, in Israel. Now, so Naaman came to the wrong place. He came with the wrong person, the wrong price. And now notice this, in verse, in verse 9. And this, I, I like this, brother, brother Reed. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. <laughs> Has your preacher ever told you something you didn't like? <laughs> Naaman goes to Elijah. I, I just sort of picture there's a porch on the front of that house. And Naaman walks up on that porch, and he knocks on that door. And you know what? In his mind, he thinks Elisha's going to come out there and just wave his hand to the God of Israel. And the God of Israel's going, you know what? Elisha didn't even come out. Elisha sent a messenger out there. And let's, let's notice his reaction now. By the way, he had to be free will Baptist. I, I've, seen, I've seen free will Baptist act this way. It says, and Elisha sent a messenger out. What did, what did the messenger tell him? Go and wash in the Jordan. How many times? Seven times. And thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Notice verse 11. But Naaman, he was wroth. And he went away. Here's what he said. Well, I thought he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Look at verse 12. Not Are not Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus cleaner, better than the waters of Israel? You know what, Brother Jimmy? I was raised on the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River is a big river in the United States of America. It's a dirty river. There's a lot of stuff that floats down that river out of, out of St. Louis, and it's not pretty. I can just sort of think about old Naaman. He says, ain't the rivers of Abana and Farfar in Damascus, aren't they cleaner than this, this, this is? What does Elisha, what does that messenger know? And he was mad. Let's read it now. And then, I like this, Brother Reed, verse 13. And his servants came near. Aren't you glad for little people in the Bible? Yeah. Nobodies, nobodies. Who was it that first told that he ought to go see the providence of Mary. It was that little maiden girl who'd been taken captive, who was waiting on Naaman's wife. Now the servant said, say with me now, don't go to sleep. His servant said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? 
how much rather then wash and be clean. Now look at verse 14. Then went he down. Brother Jimmy, I can just sort of see him sitting there looking at that Jordan. I can't believe, I can't believe that Elisha didn't come out and see me. I can't believe that messenger said, go and wash, go and dip in this Jordan. While the rivers of Damascus cleaner than this. But I can see him step down there, Brother Reed. And then he steps down again. And then he steps down again. And I could just see him being about waist deep. Now, what did he tell him to do? They told him to dip. Now, how do you dip? Brother Jimmy, I'm just going to, this is my imagination. The water is not very clean, so he probably puts his hand up over his nose because he don't want that old dirty water going up his nose. And he got his hand over his nose, and he's out there waist deep. And so he just kind of bends over and dips himself down in the water. What do you think he did? He comes up, and he looks. And guess what? That old leprosy is still right there where it was. Nothing changed. What did they tell him to do? Dip how many times? Seven. So he dips the second time. Looks. What in the world is Elisha and that messenger? What do they know? He dips the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. And Miss Teresa, what if, what if Naaman would have just stopped on that sixth time and said, I'm done with this. That preacher don't know what he's talking about. Look at my hands. I still got this old leopard. You know what he told him? Dip seven times. And sometimes people get mad with the man of God because the man of God stands and says what the word of God says and the word of God does not change. So Naaman, I can see him right now, that reluctantly dipping down that seventh time. And then he comes up and he looks, and I like to say it like this. His skin became as smooth as a baby's behind. Is that a good thing to say in church, preacher? I don't know. But you know what? Have you ever, have you, ever you know, when babies are real, when they're small and their little heads are so smooth and they're behind her, you put all that baby lotion on them and they're just as smooth. His skin became just like that of a baby. Why? Because I call this Naaman's marvelous conversion. Can I tell you about when I got saved? I had a crush on a little girl. And she went to a little old dry free will Baptist church. See, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and I've seen people dance, Brother Jimmy. And I've seen people roll in the floor and speak and other whatever. And you know what I, I used to think? I used to think if you did all that, that made you spiritual. What I have learned is this. There are people sitting in the pews that are quiet as a church mouse that loves the Lord as much as any loud mouth or loud jumping person. The reason I know that, my mother... My mother raised me in a Pentecostal church. I never saw my mother jump over a pew or roll on the floor or speak in some different language. I saw, here's what I saw from my mother. I saw my mother live a godly, consistent, wasn't perfect, but she lived a godly, consistent life in front of her husband, in front of her kids, and she lived to see her husband saved at 80 years old. She lived to see her kids saved because she lived a quiet and peaceful life in front of her family. But here's what happened to me. This little girl invited me to go to church. And I'm like, well, there's a bunch of old dead heads down there, so I can, I can go down there. And I went down there. I sat through Sunday morning, and I went back on Sunday night. And I went back on Monday night. And I went back on Tuesday night. But on Wednesday night in that little revival meeting, I got convicted. What does that mean, brother? I'll tell you what it means. It means I felt dirty. I felt sin, sinful. And I felt ashamed. And by the way, if you've never been convicted of your sins, you ain't saved. 
for you to be saved, the Holy Ghost of God has to convict you. The Holy Ghost of God has to draw you. And I, got, I, I was upset, and I got out of that church that night. Brother Jimmy, I should have got right. I went home, and I couldn't sleep. I walled that bed like an old hog. And I said to the Lord in that bed that night, I said, Lord, if you'll let me get back to that church tomorrow night, I'll get things right. The next night on Thursday night, it had nothing to do with Sherry, Mary, or Harry. I was there on that Thursday night to do business with God because the Holy Spirit of God had drawn me and convicted me. So when the preacher gave the invitation, I hit the altar. Now, God, can I tell you something? Nobody had to tell me whether I got saved or not. You know what? When I got saved... I felt clean. It's, it's like the Lord just opened up my soul and just poured the yeah. purest water that could ever flow through a human being. And I, when I walked away that altar that night, I was hugging white-headed people, bald-headed people, fat people, skinny people, ugly people. I didn't say you. Ugly people. Pretty. I was hugging everybody. You say, what happened? The Holy Ghost of God moved in. I had never drank alcohol. I had never uh, done any drugs. I had never done anything immoral. I was a 15-year-old boy being raised in a Pentecostal home with a godly mother. And God convicted me and God saved me. So Naaman, Naaman was so close that day on the porch there at Elisha's house. And he got mad. He got mad with the messenger. What would have happened if Naaman would have stopped in that river on the third or fourth or fifth? So Wouldn't it be sad tonight for somebody to be so close to the things of God? and then die and go to hell, I do believe it's possible for people to grow up in a church and die lost and go to hell. Just because your mama's saved, just because your grandpa's saved, just because your daddy's a preacher, just because your mama's a godly lady, doesn't make you one. For you to be a Christian, John 3, 16, it's still in the book. For God so loved the world. What, that, by the way, that word, that word world there, he ain't talking about the rocks and the hills and the trees. God made that. It's talking about humanity. For God so loves humanity, he what? Gave his only begotten son. Now get this. That whosoever believeth in him. And that word believeth is in the present active tense. It means to keep on believing. I got saved when I was 15 years old. I know I don't look like it. I'm 65 years old. I got an aneurysm in my stomach tonight. I've been saved now for 50 years. That little boy back there, we trying to, I was trying to figure out how much older I was than him, and I think I'm 54 years older than him. I couldn't even add it up. But man, I have been saved for 50 years. What, here's what I want you to know. You can get saved, and you can stay saved, and you can die saved. Here's what I tell my grandkids. My granddaughter's eight years old. My other granddaughter seven years old, and my grandson is five. I said, Natty Bug, Kaylee, Wyatt, Papa wants you to go to heaven. One of these days, Papa's going to die. You know what my daughter said? Dad, don't talk to him about that. I do. One of these days, Papa is going to die. I don't know when. Could be today. Might be 10 years from now. But here's what I tell my kids. If you want to see Papa again, after Paul Paul leaves this world, you got to be right with Jesus. And you got to stay right with Jesus. And guess what? If you be right and stay right, guess what? You'll die right. 
Don't wait. Don't wait till you're 80 years old to get saved because you know what? If God's Spirit's not dealing with you, you ain't going to get saved at 80 years old. And if God does deal with you at 80 years old, you've done wasted most of your life when you could have been doing something for God. So God tonight loves you and God cares about you and God cares about kids. And God cares enough about kids, He established Harvest Child Care Ministries for a purpose of taking care of abandoned, abused, neglected kids. So tonight, because you love the Lord, because you love the Lord, you want to do some good things. And you want to do it in the name of Jesus and for God's glory. So tonight, I want to ask you a question. It's 728. Your ball game's been going for about an hour. You might get part of it. You might not. But here's what I want you to get. I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you knew that you were lost and the Holy Spirit of God was convicting you and you knew you needed to do business with God? Has there ever been that time? If there has... You had two choices. Number one, you can open up your heart, not literally, but you, 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 you yield yourself to Jesus Christ. You say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will forgive me of my sins. I invite you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and change me. And you know what? The very moment that you pray that prayer, Jesus Christ will do exactly that. He'll come into your heart. He'll save you. He will change you. Let me ask you another question. Maybe you've gotten saved in your past. Can I tell you something? Just because you're saved don't mean you won't have problems. Matter of fact, you'll probably have more. Because the devil doesn't want you to get to heaven, and the devil wants to destroy you, and he wants to take you and your kids and your grandkids to hell. Amen. And every day the devil is not going to give up. Let me ask you a question. Have you gotten tired of the fight? Have you backed away from God a little bit and said, God, I'm just tired of it? And you let yourself get further and farther away from God. And tonight you know that you are not in the fellowship with God that you need. Do you need to come tonight and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my backslidden condition. Lord, forgive me for my attitude. Forgive me for my heart's not where it should be. And I need to rededicate my life to you. Let's pray.